Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Walking Victory. Listen, our last show was so good, I had to bring it back. I had to bring back James. Phil, you don't even have to play the intro music. I don't even care what time you're listening to this. I just need you to listen because we're we're about to dive a little bit deeper into some concepts that is going to be helpful for you and your life and the way that you if you if you're a mother and you have uh, a young black man in your house, single parent, both parents, you need to hear this because we're going to dive into the psychology of the social system in a way that you probably never really looked at it before. This is very, very important. Like it, share it, follow us, and um, we're going to jump right into it. We're not going to filibuster. You want to learn about uh, Brother James Gray's um, bio, and we can see him at, you can look at, listen and to the last show. So as a, as a, uh, James, as a pastor, I have another podcast called Walking Victory Sunday Service. Mm-hmm. And on that, we've been breaking down the nuances of theology. And we break theology down into three portions, historical, mm-hmm. literal, and grammatical. But as I build from that, I also, I'm also going to begin to talk about parallelisms. And when we talk about parallelisms, it lies in connection to historical. Because in order for you to understand similes or parallels, you have to understand a historical context or they don't make sense. So when Jesus speaks in parables, he's speaking in a parable or parallelism, simulating something that's historical. Because if he doesn't simulate something that's historical, the parable doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. In our private conversation, you were telling me that that's how the justice system works. Me as a, a preacher, I'm not looking at justice system in that context. So I'm, I'm going to yield my seat and give you the floor so that you can explain to the audience why parallelism and historical context is important even when it comes to cases. So when we hire a lawyer, sometimes in real estate, I used to do real estate in in construction. That was my first business. Uh Me and my partner used to say, sometimes we have to be the lawyer 
because mm -hmm. a lot of times I would call my lawyer and tell my lawyer, this is what I need you to say, or this is what I need you to do, because lawyers are just lawyers. They, they, they don't necessarily have to get into historical or parallelism. You can give them their money. That don't mean they're going to give you a good, a good case or they're going to give you a good defense. So mm -hmm. can you talk about that from a legal perspective in conjunction with this case that has just been going on in Georgia? Okay, so uh, once again, James C.B. Gray, Executive Vice President of National Action Network, Bronx Chapter, and uh, it's a pleasure to be back on second show, and I plan to be on many more shows, hopefully. Yes, you, oh, you're back. <laughs> and uh, speaking about parallelisms and uh, understanding how the, it, it, it could work in conjunction of understanding, a lot of times when cases are brought before the uh, courts, what they do is your lawyer can use a reference from another case that can benefit you by the similarity of the case and able to utilize a new stature or introduce a new kind of perspective, you know, in, in your case to help get you a, 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 a better sentence or a better opportunity. Another thing is uh, the parallels when it comes to different, when it comes to uh, like cases, right? And also, we, we got to talk about the culture too, mm. right? The culture of racism is something that was built over time by an accepted behavior, okay? If it wasn't accepted, it would have been done away with. It would not have been tolerated, okay? A learned behavior that's been accepted is something that becomes a pattern and becomes a behavior. And in the South, we have like a very bad case of uh, racism out there because of the social environment that allowed this behavior to fester and mature into what it is now and what it has been for the last hundred years. So we're going to parallel this case, uh, the uh, Ahmad Aubrey case, with three other cases that happened during the civil rights era. As a matter of fact, one of these cases actually sparked the momentum for the civil rights movement. And that was hmm. the Emma Till case, okay? Now, if you look at the Emma Till case, um, and I've been working on research in this case for years and was even involved with the Emma Till documentary and everything. And that case was so big. And a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of cases that happened around that time that nobody even knows about. Why was this case so big? Well, Emma Till's mother was the one that allowed him to have an open casket and when uh times magazine uh, uh ebony magazine put a picture of Emma Till's face in that magazine the whole world was like what is this and it was kind of like the same effect as that video circulating the way that it did yeah yeah you know, Ahmaud Aubrey that's case. our first parallel yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah you know, so they had to utilize pictures and stuff like that. But even then, there was a lot of stuff that never even made it through the threshold in order for it to go viral on any level. You know what I'm saying? So we, we didn't really have that power back then. But this is a case in point where that picture in Ebony Magazine was able to let the whole world see an injustice. And people who, who wanted to find out more about the case and people who could have helped, you know, and even the FBI, and the president's office got involved with this case, you know, in order to try to counteract things. 
Now, if you look at it, Emmett Till uh, falsely accused of, of whistling at a white woman. They literally go to his uh, uncle's house where he was staying at at nighttime, drag him out to bed. You know, uncle couldn't say, yo, I'm not, you know, y'all can't take him. He would have got killed on the spot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, that came, you know, at the uncle, like, yo, how could you let them take him? He was like, what do you want me to do? There's nothing he could have did to prevent that from happening. The best thing he could have done is saved his, his life. But, you know, I think that he could have made a, well, even if he reported it back then, he would have got killed. You know? uh, yeah, it was. His yeah. hands were basically tied. So they take Emmettel out of there. They take him down by the river. They torture him. Beat him. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Interrogate them and end up uh, shooting them in the head. They tied the cotton uh, fan around his neck and threw it into the water. Days later, you know, they find a body and it's just like mutilated, uh, un un unrecognizable. You know, I remember wa watching a show called Eyes on the Prize. And it used to come on Channel 13 back in the day. It was about the whole civil rights movement. And yeah. watching Eyes on the Prize was the first time I saw Emma Till's face. And I used to have nightmares about that thing, man. Like, for real. And, but it still want, it still drew me into finding out more about uh, his case and what happened to him. So this case is, is, is similar in a couple of ways. Of course, overall, the level of injustice that it, it's getting, uh, once it, this case is 10 weeks uh, in being delayed before it's even had a proper investigation started. You know, and Mathilde's case was very high profile, which this one is too. But back then, the justice level for... Black people in the South was like ridiculous. You know, mm. they were, these guys were in the courtroom smiling and laughing uh, while they were getting prepared for trial. It was a total slap in the face. All these all white juries for years, man, killed us in court. You know, even if we did a change of venue, it wouldn't make no sense because guess what? You go somewhere else, they got an all white jury. So it, yeah. it didn't make no sense, you know what I'm saying? Now, these are the cases that I, that I research as an African-American historian and as an activist, too. 
and they, they mean a lot to me because of the historical content and, uh, and, and the facts and information behind this, and it which allows us to parallel cases like a case from 1955 to 2020, because we're still dealing with a serious level of racial injustice all across the board. Hmm. So the Emmett Till case, we see we see historical context. Yeah. South. Um, fear, fear mongering. Oh yeah, big time. Deputizing. Um, uh-huh. And I don't even want to get it. From my last show, I talked about me. I put myself in a position with the fourteen-year-old young lady that I saw on social media who had a cop accosting her. If I would have jumped in and that would have been my daughter, I would have been dead. So I can imagine, and that's and this is 2020. So if I, if I see somebody, a cop handling my daughter like that, he's immediately oh, going to shoot me or yeah. spray me or whatever. Yeah, you, so you, you can imagine you in, in, in Emmett Till's uncle's time, people try to peg him as one that could have did something. But in the historical context, what could he have done? There's no power for him. He's he's powerless. Uh, give us another sighting, another case that we can parallel, because I want to build an argument. Because you said something in our last show, and I could not let you go without first justifying <laughs> what you said, because that ten day that um, ten week period of silence oh, gives man. us enough gives the prosecution enough time to build a case to allow this to, to, to be swept under the rug. And we yeah. will probably protest and we will kumbaya and we will be upset. But then something else will happen on the news or put something else in front of our face. And us and that can, the only one that'll be left holding the bag is that man's mother. Yeah, it's his family, you know, overall. And it, that, that's one thing a lot of people who don't know about these kind of cases, they don't get it. You know, and a lot of times when a, when a police officer gets arrested, everybody's jumping up and down. I'm like, yo, this, we haven't even got nowhere near celebration yet, okay? Yeah. Just because a police officer got arrested, prosecuted, booked, that's nothing. I saw you that need... on your post the other day. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> you need at least uh, at, at least a conviction on um, capital murder to rest assured that there's going to be some reasonable jail time that re- reflects that. If you if you get manslaughter, guess what? Probation. <laughs> it's all kind of stuff that that that, that it's on the just, table. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, our time served. You know, you know, he's, he's guilty in court of law. That that's enough. You know, I've seen it all. If you don't get a solid conviction on a police officer, it's not going to mean anything. Even in Eric Gardner position. People are excited, and we, we're both from New York. People are excited because it sets a precedent that the cop lost his job. Yeah, which means nothing because guess what? If that cop is operating without a pension, okay, cool. But that cop needs to be, if he's, if, if see, we got the double standard between uh, civilians and police officers is one of the biggest gaps in, 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 of injustice too, 
because that that cop is a human being. Okay, he might not have the same level of jurisdiction. As a matter of fact, when police officers commit a crime, they judge by what they call the deputy commissioner of trials. And on my documentary, I have the deputy commissioner of trials on there. You know what I'm saying? Really cool guy. Matter of fact, that guy actually defended me in court uh, on a Trump case. <laughs> you know, and got yeah. out of it. You know, but we got to look at the double standard, not only when, when it comes to uh, us and police, we got to look at the double standard in uh, appropriation of law. You know, look at what happened for so many years with the disparity between crack cocaine and cocaine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was a major Now opioids. From a historical context, now opioids. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just getting out of control. The transparency is something that could really close a lot of gaps and allow justice to really uh, introduce itself in a proper manner. You know what I'm saying? Because we've been, we've been operating so, so far behind justice for so long that it's starting to become normality. You know what I'm saying? To where black people go into court expecting to be uh, convicted, expecting not to be able to have the proper resources. If you can sit on Rikers Island for three years, two or, two or three years, as an innocent man, just because you can't afford proper representation, you know what that means? That means that, it's a, that means that it's a crime to be broke. That's what the crime comes down to. If you, wow. are, if you are suffering or incarcerated because of lack of resources uh, uh, on a monetary level, that means that you, 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 the crime you committed was being broke. And that's what well, that's what it comes down to for for most of our community, is that we don't have the resources to defend ourselves. Exactly, that's one of the reasons why I was uh, you know very passionate about Legal Night uh, up at the National Action Network. We would have we have Legal Night every last Thursday of the month, and Legal Night is a platform that allows anybody that has a lawsuit a case or they've been wrongfully uh, you know, had the civil rights violated in any manner, they can come to legal night and we get them a real attorney. Not one of these uh, court appointed um, attorneys that work for the courts. We're talking real attorney that was willing to go to trial for you. Okay? Free of charge. Pro bono. Yeah, so we've, but we created a network of attorneys that are, have been willing to come in and dedicate time to working on these cases. And they best your case for because for, I grew up in Far Rockaway and a lot of my listeners, they listen, okay. they, they, they they're gonna look at your case. They not don't just no, no, go no. down they, the legal night. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna really see how they can help you. Like we got some No, no but I'm saying too, you can't go down the legal night lying. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is vetted. But you know, that that comes along with with people, you know, you gotta help us help you. Okay. Yeah. And before we take on any case of any magnitude, there's a moment of understanding where we say, listen, we're going to, we're putting our reputation on the line for you. We need you to be 100% truthful in everything that you tell us. If there's something that we don't know, we need to know that now. See, you know, I wasn't going to mention the Tawana Brawley case. Uh, Only uh, out of respect. <laughs> no, no, no. But, yeah. but you brought it up in the last show. And yeah. I'm only going to use this, and you can elaborate or not elaborate as you as you would. Yeah. The fact that people bring up Al Sharpton's Al Sharpton's representation of Tawana Brawley, yeah, 
as a knock on him, I think is injustice or unjust because he took her word and he showed what he could do for her. Now, there was no way that he could know that she was lying to the, or whatever the, 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 the situation was, whatever yeah, yeah. it came out to be. Because yeah. a part of me still believe, and this is Naron Tillman, the <laughs> pastor, not James C.B. Gray saying this. Yeah. Because some people might not see this on video, so I'll say this again. This is Naron Tillman. Yeah. I still believe that a part of her was honest about what she was going through, but she could, um, cracked under the pressure. Now, that being said, we can't hold that to his account because he defended her. But mm -hmm. this is what some people in our country want to do is say, well, look, he jumped out on her. And they use little things like that to try to diffuse right, so look, look, uh, Let me say something. Um, first of all, anybody that I've ever met that had a beef with Reverend Al Sharpton, they, they always bring it back to Toronto Broadway. But that's not fair. And, and I say, okay, you know what? And so what I do, it, I do two things in that case. You know, first of all, I, Reverend Sharpton is a, a, an amazing guy. I've seen him do so much for so many people. And, you know, first thing I say is this. I, and I give him a little bit, a, a reference of some of the amazing things he's done since that Tony Broly case. And they'd be like, wow, I didn't know he did all that. You know, but you never thought to even do the research about the good stuff he did. No, you just yeah. go stuck on the bad stuff. That's number one. We got a bad problem of doing that as black people. Another two is this. Then you know what I say to him? Now, you're so concerned about all this and all that. What are you doing to make a difference <laughs> or a change in a black yeah, community? And they just shut up right there. Some get mad at me, but I'm like, no. You know, if, if you're ever going to say something bad about somebody or talk about what somebody ain't doing, you should be prepared to talk about what you are doing and what you're contributing, you know? And, and, and for, for, for what he did, some pastors still don't even understand sanctuary. For okay. him to lock into church because yeah. he understood sanctuary. You can't come into, the, and we allow people to just come into the church and do anything because we don't understand sanctuary. Yeah. My, my first experience was that was with Al Sharpton and, and the Tawana Broly case. Now, fine. He he put his if if I would if I would and I'm a pastor, if I put my name on the line to defend someone that I felt was done wrong, come to find out that they lied, you can't tell me that I did wrong. I defended what they told me was their truth. Yeah, and you yeah. can't hold that against my account, but because we allow media to disrupt our mind, and I'm segueing to the second historical context case that you will present to us, as you show us how the media can even manipulate what might happen in Atlanta. Yeah. So now, check this out, right? Go, on, go talking about the Tawana Broly case. Yes. What people don't look at is this, right? If a police officer pulls you over and you say to him, all right, well, listen, there was five other people doing the same speed as me, and the police officer said, all right, cool. I wasn't able to get all five of them. I got you. Mm -hmm. And the police officer said, well, 
If I would have got somebody else, would you have stopped and say, yo, man, I was, I was feeding too? You know what I'm saying? You're not going to mm -hmm. do that. You see what I'm saying? So now, if Reverend Sharpton didn't believe Tawana Brawley, and that ended up being true, he would have been demonized in both cases. There's a double-edged sword. That's what people yeah. don't never think about. Yeah. He was better off doing, uh, standing up for this girl and taking her word for it because what if he didn't and it ended up being true, he would have been done. It would have been he a would have never had to put the stand on it. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. by all means, man, I think that he did what he could have done, you know, and I think I think he made the right decision. You know what I'm saying? I just, and I just, he did a brilliant job. We forget about that part. The reason why people are mad is because he did such a good job <laughs> at yeah. what he did. Yeah. He did a brilliant you know job. But they use lies that right. to tear him apart for years, man. And I'm just glad that yeah, and, he, and, he overcame and, that. And, you know? and it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair because I've defended people that that had to come in the, in, in the office and say, Rev, you know, I'm lying. I'm like, well, hell, we out here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, how can, how, can, how can we move forward? You know, let's, let's straighten this yeah, thing we out. Yeah, we out here now. Let's, let's try to come up with a reconciliation plan. Yeah. So another parallel in the deep-rooted South, because you made a great point that sometimes I think gets glossed over because we look at America as America. But you're isolating, not in eisegesis, but you're isolating the rules of the South are not necessarily the same as the North. Oh, never, yeah, nowhere near. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Midwest don't govern themselves as the North. And, and there's no better case to see this than what Donald Trump said. Listen, every governor for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you standards, but if your governor say you can go, you can go. If your governor say stay home, stay home. Um, and that divides. So our nation oh, now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. one nation. I, there's another parallel that rides right into that, and it's yeah. called... It was, it's called popular sovereignty, okay? Mm. There was a time when slavery was going through a transition to where there were certain states that said, okay, we're for slavery, and then certain states said no. Then there was a couple of states in that gray area where they were to decide how, did they, how they wanted to do it. And that was called popular sovereignty, and it worked against the slaves in some cases. Sometimes it worked for them. But Altogether, I think that if we are centralized in decision... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And mandates and laws. And, you know, then things will be. That's just like there was a time in the United States back in the days when every state had their own currency. And some states didn't honor other currencies. Some states did. But it was such a big confusion and a lot of stuff went crazy. Um, you know, you you could rob a bank over here and, and go over here with, to the next day with that money and say, yo, man, this ain't worth nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like me going to Canada. <laughs> you know? So and that's why I said now that the, the United States currency is centralized throughout the whole United States, which makes it more effective. You know what I'm saying? So I think we need to centralize all of these laws, stand your ground. If we're going to keep them, let's keep them. If we're not, let's don't. And I think that the South fears that if it comes to that point, we're going to get rid of all that stuff that's been protecting white people in these loopholes for years. So you was telling me about a case in Mississippi. Yeah, well, all these cases are from Mississippi. <laughs> Actually, all three of these cases are from Mississippi. Wow. And that just lets, that lets you know, you know, altogether. Mississippi is, uh, it's, it's, it's just, they got away with murder for so long that they say, man, you know, what are we going to do without being able to murder? You know what I'm saying? Tell but, our audience um, about, about the one where they, they, they broke into the jail. All right, so what happened is, uh, this case is the Mark Charles Parker case. Mm. And it was in uh, four years after the Emmett Till case, 1959, okay. in uh, Pearl River, Mississippi. And what happened was, this is a black man that was falsely accused of raping a white woman. Now, now how do we know he was falsely accused? Oh uh, man, it, it ended up coming out later on. Okay, um, in the case. like most, like most. But see things. now, you see how you remember you, you ever seen um, a lot of these Black Panther cases have uh, political prisoners who've been in jail for years, and they all got the same charge, which was killing a police officer, right? Yeah. Now. This it wasn't true, and like Asada Shakur, Black Liberations Group, all these guys got the same charge of killing the police officer. Now, there's a big conspiracy that was going around behind that, but it's the same case, it's the same situation with this. Back in the days, the worst thing a black man could do is rape a white woman. I mean, like that was like the worst thing ever. You know, talking to a white woman, uh, eye contact with a white woman. Those things could get you sent to prison. Yeah, that was called illegal eyeballing. Yeah, you know, reckless eyeballing. Reckless eyeballing. Yeah. So, if you look at this, like this, this case, and there's a lot of cases where black men were accused of doing things to white women and white children. Okay, matter of fact, that's how the uh, the uh, Black Wall Street uh, riot started with the black girl. Saying that the 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 the, 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 ele- was the, the elevator, black elevator operator, 
It was supposed to have touched the, the little white girl. And yo, that thing was so it was so uh false that they eventually came out with the true story, but it was too late. It was too late. So many people had got killed behind that whole situation. And that's what ignited that situation. Black Wall Street and uh uh what's it? Um Arkansas, not Arkansas, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? Now, check this out. I'm going to give you another parallel before I go into the story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Come on. We're we here for it. Things are just lining up right now, right? So in Black Wall Street, during the process of them killing all these black people and murdering them and, and burning down their houses, the sheriff got inside of a plane and dropped a bomb from a plane. Yes. Onto First the attack. So now, check this out. 1985, there was an organization in Philadelphia called uh, the, John, the John Africa Movement. And they were called okay. uh, the MOVE organization. And they were a bunch of black, you know, liberations, uh, a black liberations group that decided that they didn't want to participate in the, the United States government's program. So they basically went off the grid, were using their own resources. They would uh, train in martial arts tactics. They would learn how to shoot. These guys automatically became terrorists, okay? So when the FBI got onto them, they started like surveilling them. But what they did was they allowed Philadelphia Police Department to come in there and try to, try to you know, take them out of there, right? Well, on this whole process, they dropped a bomb out of a helicopter. In Philadelphia? I never heard of this before. Google Operation Move, 1985, uh, and you'll see the whole thing, man. So now, they dropped this bomb out of a helicopter. Now, there's the parallel right there from Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah. uh, Black, Black Wall Street to Philadelphia Operation Move, okay? The John Africa Movement. And that bomb burned down 85 houses that night. They said, if, if you, you ever see the footage, it's all, it's all over YouTube and everything. Matter of fact, there's a lady named Pam Africa who was like the, you know, the, the, one of the main people. She did about, she did some time in jail and then she ended up suing. She, she got $10, $10 million. Get out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you got to, this is a story. Matter of fact, I might be able to connect with uh, her and maybe get on the show. She's, yeah. she's, uh, she just won a, a couple years ago a big settlement. Um, the thing was, um, they yo they killed during the process of trying to apprehend these guys. They, they killed about twelve people, and about six of those people were children, man. Like children, okay. Now, one of the worst things they did was. They waited, well, there was, the, uh, Philadelphia had its first black mayor in the history of Philadelphia. Okay. So they kind of put it on him like, oh, well, you know, he gave the, the commands and he was down with it. Okay, let me tell you something. They found out that that bomb that was dropped out the helicopter came from the FBI. Okay? So... When did the FBI say, yo, man, look, here's, here's this bomb y'all was talking about? <laughs> like, literally. You know what I'm saying? They supplied the bomb that they dropped out the helicopter. 
and all, I'm talking about 85 houses just went up in flames all night. The fire was burning all night, man. I'm, I, I'm going back into my mind. I know in 86, my beloved Mets won the World Series. So I, I was um, I was old enough to remember. and and But I also remember at that time, news wasn't really at our fingertips. We had Channel yeah, 2, yeah. Channel 4, Channel yeah, 5, yeah. 7, Caucus yeah. 9, and 11. And PBS, mm -hmm. those were our six news channels. Uh, one, two, was Reagan or Bush one in office at the time? Uh, that was Reagan. That was Reagan. Reagan. Uh, so, so now. That was Reaganomics. <laughs> Reaganomics. So it, it all, I remember when Reagan came into office and, and it all makes sense now. And um, he was for big business and no government. And uh, he was uh, the war on drugs. That was the whole war on uh, drugs. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That was yeah, the that, whole war, that whole war on drugs. You know, uh, I just was watching. I just was watching again last night for like the 20th time. What I think is one of the most brilliant stand-up comedy shows of my lifetime, besides oh, Eddie Murphy Raw, Dave Chappelle last stand-up and he started talking about the parallelism between cocaine crack cocaine epidemic and opioids oh yeah and, yeah. and his the line that i glossed over all the time and i don't know why it stood out to me not even i knew i was going to interview but I, not even knowing that we was going to dive into this <laughs> he says all i gotta say to you white people as Opioids come out as say no to drugs because that was <laughs> yeah that, yeah it's real. that was the thing that they came and like because, say no now, look at the if you look at even the uh you know put opiates to the side and look at the marijuana thing all yes. this me medical marijuana all this THC all this cannabis and all of this stuff that they are making money on now but I got in trouble for. Yeah, we, we served time for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that anybody who served time for it should be able to get a license to grow it and to sell it. You know what I'm saying? On an entrepreneurial perspective, because guess what? Y'all capitalized in a monetary level off of him being in prison for the same thing that you guys are doing legally now. Yeah. So not only did he, did he lose out on time that he never, never be able to get back, uh, his criminal record will always prevent him from being uh, taking things to the next level. But now, the irony of it is he's watching white people be involved with this same line of work that he was in. That, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on 85. Okay. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm 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 going back. I don't know if you saw me. I'm going back into my mind's eye about what was happening during that time. Yeah, we we really thought that we were arriving because if you think about it, <clears throat> we started to get some political voice mm -hmm. in in about '84. Um, we started to get some political voice. There started to be. Some some faces talking about our our plot, 
the uh, Rainbow Coalition and Jesse Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm just saying at that time, he was starting to really make a push. And we had a lot of things pos- that I that I could look back at that was happening positively from a East Coast New York perspective. And for me, to for that not to be something highlighted into the Black community shows how two things, media is controlled by the 1%. But it also, if I'm not searching for this historical context, it won't ever be revealed to me. This is something that <laughs> yeah. that people not no one's like I often say when I'm when I'm preaching and I'm talking about biblical stuff, you can't find this in textbooks. You, you're not gonna find this anywhere. Like these are things that you're gonna have to really be seeking out for. And the internet can be great for for a lot of things, but if you don't know what to type in, especially with this last algorithm change, you gotta be very oh, specific what it is that you're trying to look for well let me tell you something as a as a as an african-american historian there's so many things like this like like i said every day i post a black history fact of the day so it had this is a this is a black history fact that took place on this day at some point in time in the last two maybe 300 years right okay so yesterday's fact um was about a guy who was a slave, right? And th- this guy, what he did was, uh, hold on one second. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, this, this guy was a slave. Uh, his name was Caesar Norman, right? What, what Caesar Norman did is he created uh, cures for viruses, illnesses. He came up with a cure for, the, uh, for poisonous snake bites. This guy was like a a a, a doctor back in, 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 in during slavery. Okay, he knew how to get rid of any cold, any illness, even snake bites, and he knew about all the poisonous uh, plants and, and insects and everything. So when I say I, I, I do this every single day, um, on May 9th, which was yesterday, right, in a year. 1790. Wow. They they gave this guy they they gave him a pardon. He he was no longer a slave, and then they gave him uh equivalent to what was it um they gave him a a hundred dollars a year for the rest of his life for him showing how to deal with these snake bites, how to deal with these poisonous plants, how to deal with the remedies. That he that they brought from Africa, that the slaves were using to heal themselves, because you know slaves didn't have no medical Medicaid or nothing like that. No, 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 not not they had the, time. They had the they had, you know we had uh, Big Mama and and and, and people who like yeah. that. But this this guy, um, this guy, uh, Caesar Norman, he was like a revolutionary in, in the medical world back then, which really wasn't a medical world. They, that's back when people were, were still uh, um, using cocaine to get rid of coughs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, for real. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm just laughing because when I was you, up, they, they ain't using it to get rid of no cough, Doc. <laughs> if, if, you, if you look in, if you Google the Sears Robux catalog, right, 
in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, you could open that catalog and you could buy and you could order cocaine and get it mailed to your house. You can order a box that had heroin, the spoon, and the needle for like, two, for, for like two cents, and it will be delivered to your house. Okay? Google the Sears Robux catalog and to type in either cocaine, heroin, they had all the drugs uh, were legal at that time to be bought out this catalog. Sears, that's how Sears started from the catalog, which eventually became Sears, uh, you know, retail store. Yeah, so they were, so they were the first drug dealers. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? This is how uh, Coca Cola, which original original Coca Cola was started by a black woman. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no. Original Coca Cola recipe came from a black woman in Atlanta, and then they stole it from her, and then they added cocaine to it. Okay, it's a, it's a long drawn out story, but it's it's, it's real. But yeah, all right. We got to get back on topic here. <laughs> 1955. Uh, 19, 1959. Uh, this was uh, four, years after, four, four mm -hmm. years after case. Uh, the guy's name was Mark Charles Parker. And Mark Charles Parker was a black man that was falsely accused of raping a white woman. They got him. Uh, they took him in to custody, brought him down to the jail. Three days before his trial was to begin, the sheriff allowed the Ku Klux Klan to come to the into the jail at nighttime and take him out of there. Like they didn't even bust up in there. The the, the um they, they didn't even bust up in there. The sheriff allowed them to come in and get him out. Because guess what? Back at that time, most sheriffs were Ku Klux Klan members too. You know what I'm saying? Most police were Ku Klux Klan too. So they drug him out of his cell. They took him somewhere, tortured him for hours, and then they shot him in the head. And they dumped his body like 10 miles away. They found the body 10 days later. <laughs> and come to find out the guy wasn't even guilty. And, you know, it's messed up because that, this is only one case in point where we even know what happened. So now, I'm How many cases that we don't know? Check this out, right? There was a case that happened in 1964, uh, Shawna Goodman and Cheney, the civil rights, civil rights workers case, right? And we, and that, just, just to highlight what, 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 we, what you just said. They were looking for the bodies of three civil rights workers, two white boys and one black kid from Mississippi. The two white boys are from New York. As a matter of fact, my mother's English teacher was one of the boys' mother, right? So there's literally... Um, it got to the point where the president was like, yo, man, y'all need to solve this case. So the FBI was already on the case. J. Edgar Hoover called down to, uh, to get the National Guard to disperse some um, Navy uh, recruits to help with the search. So they were literally uh, dragging this, uh, it was a, 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 a river looking for the bodies. During the process of them uh, dragging this river to see if they found the bodies in the river. Guess what they found? They found the bodies of 15 black boys in that river that nobody ever looked for, that nobody that nobody ever reported. Now, don't get me wrong, because see, even reporting a, a missing black body at that time could get yeah, 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 So yeah. we're looking for two white kids and a black kid's body, 
And during the process, we find 15 black bodies in this water. And and the FBI agents like, oh my God. And you know, but the police down there say, yo, man, this happens every day. So here's the and, and I'm glad you gave us some great historical context. Some great foundation for us to parallel off. And this is the problem with with the modern day preacher. How do we bring this, these, these illustrations, these stories into a modern day context, right? How do we make these stories that really happen come alive? And I'm well, going to ask you, how do we reason, make this is the reason these why. stories come alive in this case in Georgia? Okay, so now, first of all, that the, the environment for this to happen and to flourish has to be created. Um, mm. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I mean, yep. let, me let me tell you how I got into Black history, how I was fascinated with Black history. I was in fourth grade, and the whole school had to do a book report for Black History Month, right? Like, the whole school. So, you know, everybody's doing Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, yeah, 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 yeah. you know. I, I'm talking about nobody nobody we never heard of. So, my father, he was like, well, you know, he's from Mississippi. He, he actually, you know, knew some, knew some people. Yeah. That, you know. <laughs> so he said, you ever heard of Fannie Lou Hammer? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I, I said, you ever heard of mud bone down there? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I said, I never heard of Fannie Lou Hammer. And he said, so he took me to the library and we got a book about Fannie Lou Hammer. Wow. And Fannie, Fannie Lou Hammer was a, an activist, man, but she was, man, she was, she was a tall, dark, black, she was dark skinned, you know, and mm -hmm. she, had, she had a loud mouth and that's what she was known for. And now she was speaking out against uh, racism against Jim Crow and all the stuff at a time when women didn't have a voice, okay? So the sad part is Fannie Lou Hammer died as a result of her being arrested. And I, I, did, I, did, I did a lot of research on this case and found out that she died because a white sheriff hated the fact that a black man, that a black woman was standing up for her rights and, and, and wasn't really uh, scared of him or nothing like that. So you know what this white sheriff did? They got her to the precinct, uh, to the sheriff's, uh, uh, to the jail at that time. And that white 
sheriff took a black sheriff's deputy and he said, now look, he gave him a blackjack. Back then they had a lead pipe, a lead piece on the end of the blackjack back then. Now, those are legal now, but it was like a lead piece on the end of this blackjack. And he made that black sheriff's deputy beat uh, uh, Fanny Lou Hammer until she was unconscious. And they said that that black sheriff's deputy was crying because he didn't want to do it, but he had to. You know what I'm saying? And Fanny Lou Hammer. And you wrote that in the fourth grade. You wrote about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me tell you what happened. When, yeah, that's what I'm going to ask. When, first of all, they never heard of Fannie Lou Hammer. So the principal and my teacher, they, they had to go do some research on Fannie Lou Hammer. And they said, wow, we never heard of this woman. And she was very dynamic. She was up there like rolling with uh, Moses King. And she was tight with, uh, uh, um, she was tight with uh, Mega Evers. Oh, that's another case that a lot of people don't know about. Mega Evers became the, the president of the NW, uh, Mississippi NAACP. Yo, when they shot him, they said the bullet they hit him with was so crazy that it went through, it went through his body, it went through a brick wall, it went through a refrigerator, and through another brick wall. <laughs> I'm like, what they shoot this guy with? You know what I'm saying? They meant to kill him. Oh man, that, yeah, straight up. I think it was a 30-30 or 30-6 or something. Those were some heavy joints. But uh, so Fannie Lou Hammer died as a result of a white sheriff that um, made a black sheriff's deputy beat her to death. You know what I'm saying? But like I said, her, her career, well, I mean, her, her legacy was really stunted, just like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of these guys died early um, because they, they chose to stand up for their rights and, and, and be part of the solution. So as you fast forward to 2020, Knowing all of these these cases, how do you see these this young man being in the South in in Georgia? All right. Let me let me just tell you something real quick. Cause see, th- this could ride right into that. One of, yeah. one of my one of my main reasons for for posting Black History Facts every day on social media is because social media is where the youth is. Okay, that's number yes. one. Whenever you want to reach the kids, you got to go where they are. Yes. And I said, okay, this is where I need to be at. And I started doing it for, for a long time. And I did it specifically because I get a lot of young people that say, yo, man, they don't teach us none of this in school, man. And I said, guess what? In order for somebody to indoctrinate you into a system that's going to destroy you, they can never educate you on who your people are and where you come from. Okay, they cannot empower you in any kind of way. They're in the process of them trying to indoctrinate you and take away your life and destroy your character. They 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 can't they can't uplift you no kind of way because I want you to hold that thought. Time out, Phil. You ready to come in? (laughs) Go ahead, James. Go ahead. Because I I can see you over there. (laughs) We'll let him finish his thought. Go ahead, James. Number two. So. Now, you got to look at this. A black child that knows his history is less likely 
or before we get to that, a black child that knows his history has a heightened self-esteem uh, level of self-esteem about himself. Feels better about himself knowing my people were great and I'm great too. So I have the same thing that they had in them and me. So I'm a great being who wants to win and I want to win even though the society was created without me in mind, I'm still going to win because my people made it in worse conditions. You see what I'm saying? So now I'm empowered because I know their struggle, and I, which lets me know how strong I am too. So my self-esteem is through the roof now. I'm not gonna fail, okay? I'm gonna do even more research so I can be even more powerful. The more I can document my people's struggle and my people's victory, the more powerful I'm gonna be because my ancestors are in me too. You see what I'm saying? This ideology is something that empowers them alone. So now, if you're dealing with a black child that's empowered on that level of understanding, and learn how to maneuver through this system, it is less likely for them to drop out of school. It is less likely for them to get in trouble. It is less likely for them to end up in prison. And it is more likely for them to go to college. I concur. So, I'm, 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 it's your host, Naron Tillman. And I'm, I'm turning over the mic. This is, this is historic. Um, first of all, James, I'm going to say this to you. This, I've never said this on any other show. We've done about 40, close to 50 shows. Probably combined, we've done close to 60 shows. This is the second time that Phil's come behind, from behind <laughs> the producer's table. <laughs> oh, and it has to deal with this, this. Well, no, he came on when Kobe Bryant died. Because he... He did play basketball, Division One. Uh, what D one or D two, Phil? D three, D three. I'm sorry, I was I, trying to get. I was, late, I was a, I, I was a, 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 a latent kid. A, a late bloomer. <laughs> he, played, uh, so he did play college ball, yes. and when Kobe died, and he's a basketball historian, he was on oh, the show good. for that day. Um, but this is his topic. Now, me, I'm more of a biblical business stuff but this is his topic so I, that's the only reason why i called him in because i know when you started bringing up this stuff because he tells me this every time he was <laughs> chomping at the bit so i'm relinquishing my host seat and i'm turning it <laughs> over to you mr Kennard. No, you here goes your host I'm just, here I'm goes your just, host mr phil Kennard. come on <laughs> I'm gonna my two well i'm gonna say i was about 13 to 14 years old and i had an uncle my uncle David Lee Kennard Jr. And um, we, our church had a summer center and um, he had just come home from college and he wanted to teach black history to, um, to the kids in the community. So um, when he started teaching us this during the summertime, and this is the first time, because the only thing I learned in school, Benjamin Bandica, because that's, that's the school I went to, PS 256, mm -hmm. Benjamin Bandica School, that he was an architect. Yeah. He uh, designed the. the, the now, now, did you know that he, yo, this Benjamin Banneker predicted a solar eclipse that actually happened according to his prediction? Well, he just, yes. And, <laughs> well, listen, well, ben, listen, ben, ben, Benjamin Banneker. Oh, he, he, was, he, was he was amazing. He was amazing. He was amazing. He, he, was, he was a brilliant man. Um, and, 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 and I learned um, that the first, the first uh, American to die in the uh, American uh, Revolutionary War was um, 
Help me out. Help me out, James. Uh, the, the, the first American um, that, that died in the American Revolution, uh, Revolutionary War uh, was, uh, gosh. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Um, I got, because I'm thinking about the Civil War right now, but. I got the first, hold on, listen, hold on. Let me, let, well, anyway. It was a black man. Yeah, yeah. It was a black I know you're talking about, right? too. The first American to die in the, Re in the American Revolutionary War was a black man. I'm gonna yeah. come back when I when his name pops back in my head, but anyway, okay. I started my uncle's that, but that's all I knew about, uh, and I knew that we had slavery was in America, but they didn't tell us how bad slavery was in America. But I had an uncle that taught us from um from from the uh, the first three great uh, nations in Africa, and a lot of people because a lot of people think Africa is a country, and I always said no, it's a continent made of over 50 plus countries. It's a continent like Europe, Asia, North America, it's, Africa's a continent. So a lot of people, and then uh, uh, our perceptions growing up, you know, Tarzan, the white man swinging in the trees in the, in, in the jungle and, uh, and all the, the, the Africans with the, you know, with the bones in the nose. So we, we, had, we had perceptions of ourselves that we thought that, that we were savages. They made us think that we were savages. Same thing that they did with the American Indians made us think that we're savages. And the Europeans was like these great, um, you know, so, but, um, oh, we lost, oh, did we lose James? No, no keep going, he, if he come back in. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's what, that, that was our perception of ourselves. So when I started learning about um, black history, African history, because I, I, you know, black is a term that was, bestowed upon us after they call us niggas, negro, <laughs> you know. So uh, after, um, after, like after that fact, I started seeing that um, we come from a people that were, uh, we were kings, we were royalty, we were philosophers, we were scientists, we were, you know, we were, we were things other than prior to being brought over here and changed. So our so our so our next generation so the the way that they broke it down, they um they took our language because we don't we, you know they took the language they took where we came from or what tribe what's our name, and so because your name is not Tillman, your African name is not Tillman, your African name is not Gray, mine is not Gray. those are those are names from our from our slave owners. And so that's how that's how they was able to control us. And then they stuck a Bible in our face and said, um, you know, this is what God says, you know, you gotta, you know, listen, you got to, you know, listen to your masters, you know, you gotta be an obedient slave. They things that they did to jump jump into our minds. So over 400 years now, 400 years, people say, well, listen, slavery happened 400, 400, 450 years ago. Why you're still holding? Because the effects of slavery is still is it's, it's like in our, our in our people's DNA. Yeah, you know what? A, a lot of people don't even understand how we could suffer from post-traumatic slave syndrome when we're never enslaved. And never enslaved, right? But the effects, like you said, of racism from post-traumatic slave syndrome, these things are, are, have affected us through generations. Now. Let's not even talk about the monetary value that lied in slavery because we 
were the workforce that built this country. Okay, so now you got to look at all of the families that benefited in the way of generational wealth that is still in existence right now because of our ancestors. Okay, we and this see now this was the main reason why the Civil War was fought, and a lot of people don't understand that. The North was mad because the South had yes. a sustainable level yes. of workforce that yes. they didn't have to pay nothing for. Yes. Okay? They were so it had so nothing to do. Time out. It had nothing to do because the North loved us. Because the no. North racism it was it. It, didn't, it didn't even have nothing to do, do with that. slavery. It was all about the North needed to be able to throw a wrench in the South program of making money. They uh, needed to hit them economically. And they said, if we can get, if we can cut off their workforce with this free slave labor, then they'll be on their knees, and we'll be able to, we'll be able to, uh, to, to override them, which eventually happened. But that was the best interest in mind was destabilizing the economics of the South. Now listen, now, now listen. America, America is like about 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 five hundred years old now. That's that's a baby compared. That's a baby compared to Italy. England. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Africa, oh my God, we're talking thousands of years in so, Africa, man. So so how is this relatively new country the most powerful country in the world? How how are they because they got free labor? Yeah. Ex um John Hancock, how they became such a big business, this big insurance company. Who was their first commodity? Slavery. <laughs> Slaves were literally the first, I mean, even all, all down to Wall Street was the first commodity. Yeah. Yes. And they don't even acknowledge it. So, you know, there's even institutions like all of the Ivy League schools were, were built by slaves. By slaves. You know what I'm saying? They're not even talking about this. And uh, the boys, uh, uh, Crispus Attucks. That's a, that. I'm, I'm gonna say, <laughs> Attucks is the first. Yes, Crispus yeah. is the first American to die in the American Revolutionary War. Yep. And uh, hold up, listen. And let me just say this too. Is that um you know people say oh the oh the forty acres in the mule listen we are old those forty acres in the mule I don't yes. think people want to buy yeah. Cadillacs go to the liquor store give us what's due because you wouldn't be where you are right now if it wasn't off the back of our ancestors. But see now you gotta understand at the end of the day when it when it didn't happen they realized they said hold up man. See, once slavery ended, they realized a very hard lesson. They realized that they didn't know how to do nothing. They weren't, they didn't know how to do anything except keep slaves. So all that manual labor, they had to, they didn't want to do it, but in order they have to, in order, they, they had to because slavery was legal by that point. But this is, the, now if you go back in history, you can find out that a lot of the labor unions started right after slavery ended. Oh, yeah, without question, yes. Because they needed to unionize within themselves to keep the jobs that slaves wouldn't be able to have. So there's even a lot of union problems right now because of blacks and minorities being boxed out of unions, okay? And guess what? They even took slaves to teach the slaves, to, to teach the white people how to do the job. That they ended up unionizing and boxing the black people out of. You see what I'm saying? And, and this is what I call the, the, the new workforce 
is modern day slavery. Yeah. Well, that's well, because if you look at look at what, what we have now classified as essential workers, it's not the police, it's not the firemen, it's not just the doctors or the lawyers or the essential workers are the commoners that has to keep the food supply going. That yeah. that's why the the rate is so high in our communities for people that's affected with this COVID nineteen, because we're getting on a train. We have such a workers mentality that we feel obligated to go out to work for a slave wage in this day and time. Yeah. Well, listen. Go to Costco. Go to Walmart. Go to Food Town. Food Lion. Piggly Wiggly, wherever you're listening to from, and be there for people that will never be there for us. Yeah. Well, listen. Well, let's. Well, listen. Let's. Let's. It's. It's. Um. Is. Is just as simple, and um. That's why. Uh. Uh. Like poor. Poor whites. Right. Poor whites. That's. That's. That's when race starts really coming into. In. In. in uh into uh you know into American society and racism because you had these the the, the rich one percent right they're saying now they're saying to themselves listen we got the poor whites and we got these these um these Africans that just got um that's now they're they're free and they don't have anything if these people come together we're gonna have a problem they so, problem. Now, so mm -hmm. now what they do they say they tell the poor whites listen you're better than them because you're white so we're gonna make your overseers of them. And so they like, oh, okay. So we better than you niggas. Yeah. It's like and I hate to parallel this between uh, biblical reference, but in the book of Exodus, when you read the first three chapters, it says, and the Israelites were outnumbered the Egyptians. They they women breeded more than the Egyptians. Yes. So Pharaoh's first attack on them was mental. He sent out people to sit on a horse and just look over them while they work. They didn't touch them. They never beat them at first. All they did was superintend and make sure they worked. And then they started to increase the work, multiply the work, and then they started to hit them. Because although they kept up with the supply or the multiplication of the work, it wasn't until Pharaoh said, now you can beat them because you don't like what they're doing, that they started to feel inferior. Even though they outnumbered them, even though they were more fertile than them, all they could see was that man on a horse looking down on them, chain gangs. telling them, you ain't doing it right. Chain gangs, those southern chain gangs. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, 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 we're living in a time, and I want to, before we close out of this show, because I want to bring into context, because everything that we said is great, but unless we can bring it uh, into context, James, and, and I'm, I'm going to pose this to you. Yeah. How does this look in Georgia, this father and son, all of those cases that we cited, the Civil War, we, we took it back all the way, and, <laughs> and this is how a good historian does it. How yeah. does that play now when when people are excited? Oh, they arrested. 
that that means what? Nothing, right? I don't want to say that. I'd rather you say that. If it was biblical context, I would put it into it. But what what does that mean? They got, the father and the son got arrested. Are they out on bail? Are they are they held without bail? Were they released on their own recognizances? Like what what's going on? Um, is that stack stacked? All right, so we got to look at um, once again. They, you know, it's it's kind of hard to to really even speak on prematurely because of the damage that has been done. You know what I'm saying? So this whole case is, is this whole case is never even if it comes out to where they get convicted and everything like that, the fact that it went this long without being properly investigated is all is like a mark against this case. You know what I'm saying? And there was people that could have prevented this from happening. And that's one of the worst things too. Um those who stood by and allowed an injustice like this to happen. You know what I'm saying? Not only did the, the person yeah. who committed the crime, you know, do a major injustice, but also, like uh, Martin Luther King said, uh, what do you say? How do you say it? Uh, injustice. He, he said, delayed justice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and that's literally what we're dealing with right here. We, this thing was delayed for 10 weeks, man. 10 weeks. So they already got their story together. So let me, let me give you another a parallel scenario dealing with NYPD. Um, I've been involved in a lot of cases. And one thing I've seen is as soon as a case is filed against NYPD, they are immediately on it. They don't waste no time because they know how crucial time is in a legal perspective. But by the time you get to that courtroom, you got to be ready. You know what I'm saying? And there's so many things that could be held out of court. In this case, I already know they're going to try to make that, that, that video uh, tape insubmissible. If they're able to do that, then, then these guys are going to have to put in some work, you know, and work uh, overtime because they're already 10 weeks in the hole. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's no other witnesses besides the video. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shooting it down. I'm just being real. No, I understand. I, I want I you want know, a real perspective. Yeah. We we, we got to be more realistic about everything that we're doing now. All right. And see, that's another thing. A lot of people are not ready for the truth in a lot of cases outside of this case, period. A lot of people don't want to hear the truth. And when you develop what they call um uh cognitive cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, yes. Okay. Cognitive. That is when you have been programmed to believe something for so long and when you finally realize it ain't true, you don't even, you, you, you're like, nah, man, <laughs> you know, because this is what you accepted and this is what your belief system is structured around. You know what I'm saying? So we got cut off. No, I'm here. No, 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 no we're here. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, once you, once you're caught in that realm of misinformation and misunderstanding, this is how this plays right into that zombie effect of what they're doing to us right now with the programming and and all of the uh, the viral warfare and all the stuff. Like right now, right? Let me give you a scenario. Uh, music, which is a very powerful influence. Okay, if you look at artists like Bob Marley, the Beatles, 
Michael Jackson, Prince, all these guys tuned their music to a certain frequency. A frequency that resonated with love and harmony. Now, the frequency that we're on now is totally demonic. Totally demonic. It's a, to a, a demonic vibration of music that is out loud, that is able to possess people. Okay? So, back in the days, we had soul music. Great music. And that so that music resonated on a Hertzian wave that allowed you, to, that was able to touch you and allow you to feel things. You don't got none of that no more. Okay? So this is a level of programming that allows the cognitive dissonance to, to be even more relevant in our level of understanding. The disconnection between something that you know is true and that you something that you want to believe. It is something that will not allow you to prevail on a righteous level. So now when we're even talking about a case of this magnitude in a public eye, getting a righteous judgment is going to be even harder. You know what wow. I mean? No, no, no. So, and you're not, I just want to say that you're not throwing water on the fact that, that it, that there can be a conviction. What you're saying is too much time. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, uh, no, no, let me tell you. Then we also got to look at the wild card here too. Um, you remember back in the days you used to uh, hear about the Indians doing the rain dance? Yes. Okay. Did you know that they, they, had, they, they found out how to make it rain? And I'm not talking about throwing dollar bills at the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know what the Indian says. Says, he said, "You guys, you guys, um, wait for the earth to speak to you. We know how to speak to the earth and make it do what we need it to do." Exactly. So now, check this out. What they would do, they had a belief system that was amazing. Their energy was dynamic, but they found out that if we got enough people in one place on the same page in a positive frame of mind, we, we, can, we, can, we can do the unthinkable. So a lot of people don't understand what that means, right? So look at the civil rights movement. Another case in point, a, 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 lot, a lot of people in one place with a, with a dynamic level of energy, you can change every day at seven o'clock. You know what happens in my neighborhood? I, I live in Spanish Harlem. Every day at seven o'clock, you know what happens? All, no, of these, all of these Puerto Rican people come outside on their balconies and they come outside and they and they 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 banging on drums, they beating on uh 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 anything that they can find to beat on. So, so the first time it happened, I thought, man, I thought it was like an earthquake or something going down. <laughs> and I looked out the window, man, and I see all these people clapping and banging. And As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Chanting at the same time every day since this uh, coronavirus started, they do this every day at seven o'clock. You know what I'm saying? And at first I'm like, yo, they're crazy. But then I started understanding what I just explained to you. Enough people at one place with a dynamic level of energy and a positive perspective can do things you wouldn't even believe. Like you know, look, look at the pyramids, right? <laughs> We've already established the fact that no, no, no human being were able to, to, to build those things, right? But you probably didn't know about uh, a supersonic level of energy that could move mountains. And I, I'm gonna send you a video clip so you can understand what I'm saying. So basically I could take this, no. I could take a brick, or a boulder that's, that's two tons heavy, right? And I can, I, and I can, uh, take an instrument and play this instrument in a certain key in a certain harmony and point it at that rock that's two tons and after a certain amount of time that rock's going to lift up off the ground and I'll be able to place it anywhere I want to strategically because it, because it, 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 it lost its weight well it lost its weight due to the uh, harmonious uh, yeah, vibration. vibrations wow you know what I'm saying? So we're looking at vibrations on that level, but the impact is directly attributed to the energy and the, the people who were behind the energy. Yeah, yeah. So and, even, and even and, in this, so, so I'm saying yeah. utilizing that same energy um, for this case. You know? So now, now no one likes when I read articles and I'm hearing about people, oh, throw them in jail, do Like, no one wants to see the, their loved ones go to jail. Yeah. No one. Like, and, and, and I'm not saying that in their heart they didn't believe that something was going on. So I'm not, I'm not quick on the other side, nor am I being one that, that say that they're innocent. I'm not saying any, any of those things. Yeah. What I'm saying is, how do we ensure when my son is running down the street uh -huh. with no ill intent? Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like, so we can't act like there's not two sides to the story because both sides are being affected. But one side feels as if it's okay to just demonize another side. And that's the part that we always gloss over. So now we, we got to look at the culture of white supremacy that has allowed them to feel privilege in the perspective of living with the pursuit of happiness. Okay. Their own pursuit. Yeah. They're, they're, but see, their pursuit and their uh, racial view is superior to ours. Yeah. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So now we're talking about a culture of understanding that derived from a white supremacist 
uh, point of view. So we also could go back to the fact that we are maneuvering and existing in an environment that was created without us in mind. Our modern day existence never had us in mind. This whole society was created without us in mind. So this is why it's easier for us to be killed. It's easier for us to go to jail. It's easier for us to fall through all these loopholes and traps because our safety wasn't in mind. Our well-being wasn't placed in mind. Nothing to, to benefit us on a substantial level. This is one of the reasons why we don't have generational wealth. They systematically plotted against that. And even if they didn't... So, huh? you know, and I want you to finish. I'm sorry to cross-cut you. Because I preach against generational curse. Because the only place that I ever heard generational curse is in a black church. Okay, so where, where, where they talk, I don't, I, I, I mean, all, all science talk about man being, um, um, science talks about man being unable to, we lean into the negative. The church talks about sin or inherit sin. I believe in inherit sin. So we all have a negative bias. That's what science call it, negative bias then we all starting from the same point. But the, the idea of generational curse, where you're talking about generational wealth, uh -huh. is, is the idea that we put upon ourselves as black people, where some of these people are saying, it doesn't matter how bad the Hiltons do, it doesn't matter how bad Kardashians do, we got generational wealth. Okay, so now look, the thing is this, if you had generational wealth, which is your parents passing on yeah. to you, um, that, would allow, that would allow you to be in a better position fi uh, financially, um, economically, mm -hmm. you know, and it w see, in a form of generational curse, that means that that money would have to be gotten in, 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 in ill gains. And that's why I, I, I talk against generational curse because it leaves the next, it, it would leave me feeling like I can't do anything because I'm cursed. And that's a, a trap, I believe. Oh, no, 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 no. See, now, I don't believe in that either. I, I, yeah, you know, that's what I was talking about. It's just like, in that, in that it's just like if, if you go to the doctor right now and they say, well, you know, you have a family history of high blood pressure. Okay. But that doesn't mean that you, you have, have to have high blood pressure. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But what they will say is, yo, listen, don't worry about it. This is just what's going to happen to you. And I'm like, no, this is not going to happen to me. Okay? Because I'm changing my eating habits. I'm, I'm, I'm working out. And I don't have it. So you're pre-diagnosing me because of my family history when in actuality, I don't have this and I'm not going to get this. So I'm not going to receive that yeah. from you. And okay. we walk out saying, oh, I'm going to have high blood pressure. So yeah. we, we, we curse ourselves no. with our own mindset. A doctor told me I was going to have high blood pressure because my father smoked cigarettes. I said, do you really believe that? Because my father smoked cigarettes, I, the most preventable uh, cause of, of death on planet Earth. He chose to smoke cigarettes. I had no choice in even being born, let alone him smoking a damn cigarette. Okay? So... The doctor 
was trying to tell me that it's okay if I have high blood pressure. No, it's not. And I, exactly. I'm like, we're not even <laughs> entertaining that. Like, you can't even be my doctor no more. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Because they want to put you on the pills, and they want to stunt. And all those pills have re reverse effects. So that's the same thing. That's the same thing with generational curse. Yes. Those things can be broken at any moment. Any Whenever moment. you decide that you are not going to be a victim of that, that yes. will be the day that you start living a better life. Okay? Yes. And see, we're not, you know, we got to be more powerful, uh, you know, thinkers and more confident within ourselves in order to really, really break through this stuff, man. Because they got it set up, stacked up against us in a way where these, especially psychotropic drugs that they're yes. giving our kids for ADD and ADD. Yes. They, they, they try, they try to put you on the medicine before they try to give you the cure. So now, that kind of medicine literally shuts down your brain function. And this is how that leads you from school to prison pipeline. Because by the time you get out of school and you're not going to graduate, they, they have a system of just pushing you on, uh, the whole special ed thing, pushing you all the way mm -hmm. up there to, to 12, and they just push you into it, you know, to where you get out to, to society now, and you realize you can't keep a job, you can't function, you don't have the uh, skill set to survive on any level. So you resort to drugs and, or illegal means, which then now you're on the cop's radar and it's just a matter of time before they get you. So before now, they catch you. You, not, yes. you. you being exposed to these drugs that systematically shut down your brain thinking process ultimately, ultimately ended you up in jail. And that's how the school to prison pipeline works. And so, most people in jail have mental illness. Exactly. And even from well, this or other ways too. So, I, I want to say to everybody, listen, we're going to bring James back. We, we, talked, we talked about a lot. <laughs> um, we, we even got Phil on the mic. Um, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, this is unheard of. This is the background. We, we got Phil on the mic. We, we've talked about a lot. Um, we can't win this war. can't win this war on policing in our communities. We can't win this war on police brutality. We can't win this war on systemic racism by fighting, a physical fight. We have to be yeah. intellectual. We have to come together, which is the hardest thing for us to do. I know preachers who can't even sit in the same room. Oh, man. Let alone <laughs> families on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we have to be very strategic about how we attack these problems. And to my audience who are probably saying, oh, I don't know. I don't see it that way. I understand. You, you probably didn't go through these life lessons. But hear it from the perspective of someone who worked in law enforcement, someone who's working on the front lines, and someone who has a credible voice in in a number of fields, these issues are still prevalent, not just in our community, but in the world as a whole. Let us be mindful of how we treat one another. Let's not look out for the affairs of our own, but let's look out for the affairs of others. 
Let us not be quick to draw our guns. When we see somebody running down the street, don't necessarily mean because they have on a hoodie. Because when I run, when I go for my job, I actually wear my hoodie because I want to sweat. I put on my hood, I have on the skull cap, and now I'm running with a mask. So let's not think that when you see someone, and I, I just described myself and I'm dark skinned. Let me, tomorrow when I go running, I'm not going. <laughs> hey, James, Phil, I'm not going to wear my hoodie tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, nah, and Phil, what, what do you wear every day? And then you can close this out. You can start the music. Hoodie, and I, I listen, I wear my sweatsuit with my hoodie on. I'm retired. I don't have to. I don't listen. I ain't trying to impress nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, if you're going to walk, walk in victory, I hope this was eye-opening to some of us. And listen out, we're going to be doing some amazing things over the summer. Um, and I'll be letting you guys know we have documentary that that you need to go check out. James, can you tell them where to find your documentary at? Uh, right now, uh, still in the editing process. We're almost done. Um, okay. Matter of fact, you guys, are de- you guys will definitely be at the premiere. So, you know, it's, 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 we're working on it right now. Just locking in. Okay. This coronavirus kind of put everything on hold, man. Everything on hold. But you, know. you can you can see them on Blue Bloods and some yeah, episodes. Yeah, uh, Buds. Um, I I just did an episode on um on New Amsterdam, man. I played this kid's father. He he swallowed a magnet, man. And uh, me and my me and the kid's mother just bugging out, thinking he's gonna die. And the the doctor comes in. He's like, "No, nah, this is this is nothing. He'll be he'll be fine." You know. But it was a nice episode. Check, I just did on New Amsterdam. Check out New Amsterdam. So I want you to see that. Guess son, your daughter can be an actor. A, a basketball player, but they still have to be conscious of what's going on around them. When we walk, let us walk in victory. My dog is barking. I got to go get Mother's Day food cooking. <laughs> God bless you all. Thank you for listening to another episode. Peace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.